Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostest, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. I'm very excited to welcome my friend Mary to the podcast today. You may know her as Mary's Cup of Tea on Instagram. She is a author, a speaker, host of Mary's Podcast and founder of Retreats by Mary. And she has this new book that is incredible. I actually recently had it gifted to a bunch of people called The Gift of Self-Love. She is just such a beautiful person and I'm really excited. Like as always, I never plan anything that I'm going to talk about, but as somebody who has lived in the body space and talked about it and knows so much, I'm excited to welcome her in to kind of have this conversation around, yes, self-love, but let's not make that a buzzword. Let's talk about it in all of its reality and bring her on today. Please welcome Mary. There we go there. All right, Mary, welcome to the pod. Hey, Sarah. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I'm low-key fangirling. <laughs> you get that all Stop. the time. I've literally followed you, pro- like, I don't even want to count because it's going to age me, but I feel like five years. I'm not joking. Oh, I followed you for like five years too. It's been so long. And as I'm saying this, I realize like we've really only just like DM'd with each other, but this is like, this is a long-term relationship right here. For real. It's been building in the DMs. Yeah. <laughs> it's official. <laughs> All right. Who the heck are you? And tell me a little bit about kind of your origin story. I know a lot of people come to your page seeking kind of the, um, whether it's disordered eating recovery or whether they want to talk about body image. You actually bring so much to the table in forms of self-love through relationships, through self-stuff, so much more. But kind of how, what is your story into getting into this work in the first place? Um, every time I get asked this question, a different story comes out, like a different version of the story, you know, because there's so many layers to it. So I always just get so curious as to what's going to come out this time. I essentially started dieting when I was about 11 years old. And it came from a lot of pressure of my grandma's, specifically my like ex step grandma. So she was my little sister's grandma because we have different dads. And I remember she stayed with us for an extended amounts of time when my sister was first born because she was helping out and she would bake all these like Russian pastries and all this food. And it's like rich and fatty. And it was like my favorite food in the whole wide world. And I, as the oldest of like six cousins, I prided myself on being the best eater of the family. Cause in my culture, when you're a good eater, you're the favorite. <laughs> uh, like it's true. Like if grandma can feed you, you're instantly the favorite. Um, but when you're like 10, 11, 12, like something changes and suddenly being a good eater turns from being like a good thing that makes you the favorite child or the favorite grandchild to something that's like shameful and wrong. And why are you eating so much? And as you grow into like teen years and womanhood, um, all that diet talk just becomes so, so loud, which is also very big in my culture. Cause 
Russian women are very into their appearance. It's just always been a big thing. So I remember my, my ex-step-grandma would bake all this stuff and all this food, and she would make me eat it, as in like, you know, serving me more and more, and it was always there. And then at the same time, she would tell me that I was eating too much, or she would make fun of my thighs, or it was just like little things here and there. I can't say it was like outright bullying, but just, you know, little, little things that added up. Um, and her son, my ex-stepdad, same thing. It was things like poking at my stomach or being like, why are you so round? Or like telling me to suck in. And it was just a lot for me. And I guess I took it to heart when I was 11, I was in seventh grade and I was always the youngest. And I'm still probably the youngest in most rooms that I'm in. Cause I skipped a grade being like the youngest. I just always felt the need to like overcompensate with my performance or with my grades or with how I show up as like a big sister or being there for everybody all the time. Um, and just like a lot of like codependent behaviors around how I perform and how I show up to other people and what they think about me. So that led me into like an eight year battle with an eating disorder. Cause it went from like a diet to minor trigger warning on this to like making myself throw up and going just in that yo-yo diet cycle, but it was so encouraged. Like so many other girls were doing the same thing. And I don't know about you, but when I was cool, it was like cool. Or when I was a teen, it was like cool to have an issue. <laughs> like oh, everybody had a problem. I just said this on the last podcast I did. I I literally made, I'd never had a sip of alcohol in my life. And I made up that I had an alcohol problem because I was jealous that everybody else had a cool story, but me. Oh my gosh. Yes. And that's like, the kind why of do stuff- we do that? I don't know. For me, it was like Tumblr culture. Like oh, it was very You're cool a bit younger be, than me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you mean ICQ? <laughs> AOL. <laughs> MySpace. No, it was in that MySpace, too. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was like that like dark and emo yeah. and like yeah. everybody kind of had a label. Like there was the girl that was like, I don't know, get, she was the cutter and like the the girls who had like a overprotective mom who would rebel against that or the party. Yeah, we really did like, label people, didn't we? By what they, yeah. Yeah, that was a very, as you said that, I was like, I can, they literally a face popped up in my mind of like who the person yeah. was that dealt with that and who was the person that dealt with this and exactly. very common things. I guess we always do that because I was having a conversation with my little sister. She's 13 now in the hot tub last night. And she was telling me about like her friends at school. And when I say, what are they like? it's instantly goes to like a certain label. And the funny thing is it's not, the problem isn't with the way she's describing these people, but the problem is with the image that I get in my own head based on my own projections and my Mm. own experience of middle school. Yeah. You know? And I was like, Oh, I know that girl. I had that kind of girl in my class too. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, we just, I have a thing. I have a 13 year old and whenever she tells me stories about different people, I have a really hard time. Like if somebody is familiar in personality to somebody who was potentially mean to me or anything like I, it's same thing. I have so many projections that happen, right. Based on past experience, Yeah, but such a formidable I, age. So I can understand why that would be an age where you really took a lot of these comments to heart, because that is the age where you take everything to heart. You really do. The world is the world in your eyes then is very honest. It's very truthful. They are there to guide you and lead you and you believe everything, which is such a beautiful thing. And and also so much room for corruption and influence. For sure. And it's such a small world too. like your, your circle feels like that, like that's all there is. Um, And no matter how much you tell, like, I'm sure you tell your child this. I tell my sister this all the time that, hey, and we heard this too, and we hated hearing it. Trust me, after high school, everything gets better because there's a lot more people and you'll find yourself. And now we get it. But in that moment, you're like, that does not help This is the whole world. This is the (laughs) whole, I always say to my kids, like, this feels like the biggest thing of your entire life. And this is, this will be something that's a blip on your story. You won't even, because I think I, I think there's always that fear of like that one thing that might manifest into something really big for them. And you try and take that burden off of them by reminding them that this will be such a speck in your story. But for them, the speck is like, covering their whole view of their whole lens of the world. So it is a lot. It's, it's a big, it's a big age. So walk me through those eight years. So I guess that's leading you into young adulthood. This, this carried with you these little subtleties of your junior high years into basically adolescence and into adulthood. 
What was that? Yeah. In my freshman year of high school, I was also very involved in ballet. So I was at the studio and, um, I was one of the like main dancers there. And so that brought on its own body image stuff. And my freshman year of high school, I meet this guy. He's like a bad boy. He's a little bit older. I guess that's when it starts. I hate that I love this story. (laughs) Why is this the beginning of every romance book that we never should have read? Oh my gosh, because it ends to shit. It goes to shit. And then you realize. (laughs) Um, So the story is, and again, this is the part of the story that I don't always tell. It just, it's interesting how it just comes out. But one little detail of it is that I started dating this guy and so I skipped a grade and he got held back. So even though we were like one grade apart, he was four years older than me, which looking back now, I'm like, how did my parents let this happen? But anyways, he was big into football and therefore the gym and the most popular gym in my small town was the first floor of my dance studio, which was on the second floor. So one day we wander in and we both get memberships and my life begins a series of how many calories can I burn in the smallest amount of time? So I'd go straight from school at three o'clock to the gym, exercise, had a trainer, all this stuff, and then go straight to ballet at four o'clock and then dance till eight and then come home and binge because the whole time I'm running on like a cheese stick. And it just started a vicious cycle because of course, when I binge, I feel like shit. Nobody was there to tell me that like, yo, you're not eating. Like, of course you're going to need an influx of food after you come home from five hours of working out and dance and all the, um, physically taxing stuff on your body. So that went on for a few years. And as I got more into the gym, one of the biggest regrets of my life is quitting dance because it was actually something I wanted to like major in in college. But I knew one day my ballet teacher said something like, if you want to dance, then you can't have quads this big. So you're going to need to stop working out. So it was like something like really stupid like that. And so it was literally to me how I received that, which I don't think is how she meant it, but I saw it as like, I was at a crossroads in my life. Like I could either be a bodybuilder and be this little gym rat, or I could be a dancer, a ballerina. And I chose the gym route because I felt more validation from that community. And I felt like it was more of a possibility because of the fact that I was like a curvier girl and everybody I ever talked to, like nobody took me seriously when I said I wanted to do ballet, you know, it just, I didn't get the part. It makes sense though, too. If you take the two and compare them, dance will always bring critique and like the gym will always bring external validation. So if you're seeking it, the one is a clear path to get that. So it does in your, in so your mind, like if you think about it, like dance I will have always never be thought critiqued. About it. Never yeah. thought about it that way. That is so, so true. Yeah. That is so, so true. Wow. Yeah. So you go the gym route and you're getting validated like crazy. When did you realize, or did you realize that it was an obsession at the time? Or did you just do what I did and just go like, I'm just so motivated. I'm living like the most whole, beautiful lifestyle. Fitness is, fitness is everything. Oh yeah. Fitness was everything. You know, that high that you get. Oh yeah. It's like permanent when you're in that lifestyle. I have the most fucked up story. Sorry. Can I cuss? Yes, you can cuss. Cuss I have the most (laughs) fucked up story, which is what essentially sent me deeper down at a time when I was asking for help, I got really involved in the gym and this gym was filled with older men, bodybuilders who, you know, how they swarm around the younger girls. Now looking back, I'm like, how did all of this happen? It is so messed up. Um, but there was this one guy who's older. He actually wanted to get with my mom. So he started like getting close to me at the gym, weird fucked up situation. And one day we were working out and after we were leaving and we were having kind of like a heart to heart. And I was like, Hey, I just wanted to ask if this was normal. I found, I find myself like sometimes throwing up my food because I'm so scared to gain weight. And he goes, granted, he's like 60 years old. He goes, he's like, Oh, it's okay. You know what the best thing is? if you eat ice cream, then it's so much smoother coming back up and you get to taste it twice. And I was like, oh yeah. Okay, cool. (laughs) I mean, I'm like 14. What what was I, you don't have the knowledge, I guess, to even say, wait, this is wrong. 
it also was probably pretty normalized if that was if that was advice he's dishing out this is like trade secrets amongst exactly this crowd Exactly. And you know, when you know a secret in a certain community, you just get deeper into it. And so I was like, okay, so from then on, like fitness was just this safe haven from my eating for my eating disorder. And it just let it bloom to its full capacity. I went on to compete, you know, got connected, a coach. I competed in bikini competitions twice when I was 17. Um, I was still a senior in high school. I remember coming back the day after, like still covered in that spray tan, like orange and finishing off high school, um, being like the fitness girl identity. And then my social media started growing because I had this fitness account. Granted, it wasn't really a fitness account. It was 87% male followers, oh, which wow. is another story. So, um, yeah. And then I started going to this really popular gym down in Scottsdale and I was living there as a freshman in high school, living by myself. And I just got myself into a lot of trouble in an emotional sense. I think on the outside, I was able to like, keep that like good girl persona because I didn't drink. I didn't party. I was just at the gym and I would come home. But the way that came out was, you know, self-sabotaging and destructive behaviors and this lifestyle. And then the shit I got into myself into with men and that whole gym culture community, the fitness stuff. And it looked very sexy and glamorous on the outside. And people are asking me for diet and weight loss advice. Um, I thrived in it for (laughs) about eight months (laughs) until everything fell apart. Um, I kind of took it to a whole new level when my coach started telling me to do what he called quote unquote, big girl supplements, which is like hardcore stimulants and steroids. And one day I was, I had a 7am accounting class in college. And I remember studying for my accounting exam later that week. And I couldn't read any of my notes. They were completely ineligible because of the steroid, the drug that I was taking made my hands shake so bad. I couldn't like write my notes. Um, plus I was taking all kinds of fat burners and coffee and all this stuff. Um, so I just got really deep into it at a very young age. Um, and luckily I'm the kind of person that goes really deep, really fast. And then I tend to like get over it fast or at least like I, um, where was I? Yeah. When I was 18, like it felt like things were falling apart. I was binge eating at night, every single night. And I remember wearing a hoodie to food city that was like way farther from my house because I was too ashamed to go to the local grocery store where I thought people would recognize me. And I was also living the broke college student life and I would steal food just to binge eat it later. Um, and it was just like a really, really low point in my life. I lost friends. I, you know, family stuff was really, really bad. Um, it was hard to receive support from my mom when I finally did open up to her about it. And I ended up moving to Canada because. Did I know this? Did you? Well, I don't think I did. Oh, you moved to Canada. Where in Canada? I lived in Calgary for two years, girl. I've never been, but that's exciting. I don't know how exciting Calgary is, but it was exactly (laughs) what I needed (laughs) at that point in my life. I remember just. I feeling really low and I had just finished my freshman year of college and I met this guy and this guy kind of gave me everything that I was looking for. And the biggest thing was a lot, a lot of like unconditional support. Mm. And he was the farthest thing from the fitness industry. And I remember he would like literally just feed me, like Mm. take me out and like basically spoon feed me and tell me that it's okay to get dessert. And even though it was like clunky and weird, cause he didn't know much about eating disorders, but he was a doctor. So he knew enough, um, to know that what I was doing wasn't good. And, um, we fell head over heels in love really fast. And is he Canadian? Is that where did the Canada, Canada happen? He's Canadian. He was down in Scottsdale with his friends. And I had this friend at the time. She, she's kind of this big influencer, but we don't talk anymore. I doubt she'll listen to this. But she's kind of like this gold digger and she called me and I was feeling very suicidal that day. And she was like the only friend I had. And I was like, Hey, I can't hang out. I'm not feeling good. And she's like, girl, these hot, rich dentists are in town. You have to come out. Come on, push your tits up. I'll do your makeup. Let's go. 
And that's what she did. She came to my apartment, pushed my tits up, did my makeup, and we went and I met this wonderful, amazing man. Um, And it was like, not that we're giving that advice, but I do (laughs) love where this went. (laughs) I think aside from, from that part, which it it is kind of like, it was kind of like, man, like letting yourself be open Mm. to something different or just like having that one person that's kind of like served a purpose in your life. Like they don't have to be the best friend in the world or they could maybe be a little toxic. And we can't have people be perfect. Friends aren't going to be perfect. Partners aren't going to be perfect. But yeah, they definitely do serve purposes in our stories, right? Whether good or bad, they do something. So it pushed you into this relationship and you friggin' moved to Canada for this guy. I moved to Canada for this guy. I transferred schools. I got into the University of Calgary, um, started studying there. Um, My biggest thing was like my education. I was like, if I'm going to move, then I'm going to complete my education. And that all went south after about a year. Um, It's just a really long and complicated story that I can't tell due to privacy, but we're still like really good friends. Um, And it was a big a really big heartbreak in my life, but it was one of those situations where like you can love someone, but not want to be with them for the rest of your yeah. life. Yes. Um, we need to normalize relationships ending without there being like a car crash that involved, right? Like we really do love like, Ooh, what happened? Who did what to somebody? Like, it's okay to just like, as much as I loathed it at the time, I, I understand the term uncoupling. Cause it's like a least damaging, like we're good. We just weren't serving each other in this way. And so we've uncoupled and it's less dramatic as like a breakup, which sounds like boom. Right. So I love that you said that because I think it's an important thing to note that relationships can end in a loving way. It's just not what's normal for us. Exactly. And we needed each other at that point in our lives. And there's definitely some like toxic dynamics going on between like where we're at emotionally and how we're both in this weird phase of healing. But, um, Ultimately, yeah, it led to us uncoupling. I moved back home and about a year later, I met this guy, (laughs) Um, the one that I'm with now. And we've been together like two and a half years. So in love, Um, but that's the love side of it. But as I was in Canada, I actually found a lot of healing in just being in a different environment. And I remember telling my stepdad this and he's like a practical, normal dude. And he's like, well, it has nothing to do with Canada and everything to do with the people that you were with in Canada. And I was like, truth. No, Canada healed you. That's what happened. Yeah, and that's, that's the story I'm going with. <laughs> Canada, the mountains. I spent so much time in Banff and oh. it was very romantic. You know, I would do long walks down the Calgary river yeah. and I lived downtown so I could get a cup of coffee. Of course, this is when mm. I was living with my ex. And then when everything fell apart and I was living by myself, it was also another low, low of my life where I was working like three jobs, just trying to make ends meet before I finally moved back home, which took a lot of ego swallowing because moving back home kind of sucks. Um, and asking for help in general is just so, so hard. It's hard. It's hard for sure. I totally get that. I moved away and then came back and it's, yeah, I think there's always like that part of us that like wants to leave wherever we came from. And it's, for me, it was like, I liked, I found out that I liked where I came from and I came right back and I, and I love that now. Right. Recently, I was giving my top gift recommendations and I couldn't help but mention Hydrojug. It's been one of the best additions in my life in the last year. Not only me, but my kids and my husband as well. We all use them. They're our absolute favorite and they're great reusable jugs that give you that importance of hydration while also having something that is aesthetically pleasing to your lifestyle. I'm not upset if I've left my Hydrojug sitting out because it is so cute. Everyone's asking about it. And right now, Hydrojug has three different options to help you hydrate with. They're Pro Hydrojug, Stainless, or Glass. My personal favorite right now, I'm really into the glass ones. And here is the really cool thing. It's a picture-perfect water bottle. It is so Instagram-worthy. It is clean. And not only does it keep my water clean and cold, it is so super cute. My favorite part being the lid. There are no other lids like this. It has a flip cap, a dual function sip spout, and a detachable straw. And I am super team straw, so I super love that. 
it holds half a gallon of water. So you're going to hydrate more, refill less. It just keeps me on my water game, which if you know me is really hard for me to do. And with that wide mouth opening, you can easily add some fruit and ice to it as well. It's got an integrated handle, which makes it very easy to carry around. And all their products are BPA free because sustainability is important. Right now, you can get your Hydrojug at thehydrojug.com. You can use my discount code papaya to get 10% off your order today. Hydrojugs are game changers for anyone on the go, and that includes anybody on your gift list. Again, that's code papaya at thehydrojug.com to get 10% off today. Start hydrating today. Let's get back to today's show. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole. As a leading functional medicine practitioner, I have had the unique position to see so many alchemize their pain and health problems to their purpose. Now I want the same for you. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers, where there is a fresh infusion of grace and lightness into wellness. This is the art of being well. Join me every Thursday for a new episode. Let's backtrack a little bit into um, the online world while all this is happening, because you've got the relationship side of it and, you know, you've come to Canada and a lot of healing has happened, but you have been a fitness page on the internet and you have a very strong male following. You're basically walking into a trap if you change it all to the point that you know you're going to be faced with um, pressure and it's going to, it's not going to be like a normal um, split audience, you have a page that has been in a way become the male gaze. So how did it work out when you began to sort of fall into eating again, changing some of these habits, and also on top of that, showing up online? Was it difficult? What happened? There was a time period when I just like didn't want to show my face anywhere, especially when I first moved. Um, and I was just really, really ashamed. Um, I actually think this was pre Instagram analytics. So I don't even think I knew how many men were following me, but you could tell based on the comments, of course. Um, and so there was a point where I kind of had to fall off the face of the earth and I would just every so often post a picture that was just like more personal, um, hiking in Canada, whatever. And then around new year's, I remember like one of my like big new year's thing was, I'm going to publish a blog post sharing my story and like what happened. And even if I think this was right when Instagram analytics came out and my boyfriend at the time said something like, well, if 87% are male and 13, that means 13% are female. And if you, I, at the time I had a following of like maybe 15,000 and he's like, even if 10% of those women are there, then that's a hundred and well, 1,500 women yeah. that yes. you could reach with your story. And I really love the analogy of like, put 1,500 people in a room. Yeah, That's like the people you can reach. And when you picture yeah. them as like real humans, like in a room with you, like And not Sarah, just a put, follow account. I yeah, know. put 2 million people at Madison Square Garden. They won't even fit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing. It also can cause you to trip up on what you're doing too when you realize the gravity of it, right? But it- and, and I think just the realization that when you're doing anything online, you're going to meet a sea of opinions. It's it's not a bubble in which everyone agrees with you. Oftentimes, if people follow you, they tend to. But I've been through that shift. I've been the fitness account that went into, uh, hey, guys, I think that I was wrong. And I think that what I was doing was problematic. And it's a lot of shame in that. And it also not only that, but like as you're reflecting it and you have people who were on potentially that weight loss journey or that fitness journey with you, it brings up feelings of like, hey, wait, are you saying what I'm doing is wrong? It's like, no, no, no. Like I'm, I just realized what I was projecting outwards was potentially very unhealthy. I know it was, I know it was very unhealthy and it it felt, you know, you're going into basically a resistance with your own audience, your own audience, you have to go and face them and do this whole thing it was a hard year for me. So, I mean, how was it with, how did your audience respond to the changed you? I know you said you dropped off a little bit, but when, as you did post, did people kind of ask you like, 
hey, like, why are you not doing this anymore? Like, did it make sense for them that you were just no longer competing? That was why things were different. Or, you know, you said you did this one blog post, but was that kind of like a catalyst into more? Yeah, I think this is kind of hard to admit, but I never had any good relationships that includes Mm -hmm. like with my followers or just in person when I was competing. So this is hard to admit, but I don't think anybody gave a fuck about me when Mm. I, when I left, like I definitely, I think you had a much larger following when you went through that, right? Oh, I was somewhere in the 30 to 60 range. I can't even remember, but I remember it. I remember it was actually, when I go back into those old posts, as you know, sometimes you do almost everybody who liked and commented those besides my family has completely unfollowed me. So it's been, it's been, it's, it happened basically a stagnancy and a flip. I had to, it stopped growing. And then I regrew the people I lost essentially at the exact same time, I think. Wow. I guess that's very eye-opening to me because I remember feeling so shitty about the fact that 87% were men, Mm. but maybe that almost served in my favor because they couldn't care less. Yeah. They're like, post your tits and ass and then we'll follow, you know? And when I stopped doing that, they unfollowed, which was exactly what I wanted. So fast forward to what it is we you do now and the serving up, serving up, the serving, the showing up that you do now and how you serve your community, because it's, it's, I'm going to say this, like, and I'm going to tiptoe as I say this, because I don't want to be offensive to anybody. It is very hard to find people in still thinner bodies that aren't triggering and I don't find you as a triggering person. I find the way that you invite into conversation and tell your story somehow works. Um, how have you danced that line a little bit and and come into these conversations? I'm sure it's changed for you over the years. I know it has for me. It's now, you know, what you, as you started talking about years ago, you were one of the first people I followed around some of these subject lines. And it's very mainstream now, but... Um, how, how, what made you initially start to want to share some of these things? I can imagine a lot of it stemming from a fitness background and, you know, even a dance background, the performance of a body and really giving yourself grace around it. But also um, that recognition of thin privilege within some of these conversations. Talk to me about that grapple a little bit, because I, I don't think the two of us can sit down and not have that little bit of a conversation yeah. about it as well. It's definitely been a huge learning curve. I mean, when I first started sharing my journey, my intention was to reach people who were like in the fitness industry and, or people who got really, really into dieting. But even my first like middle in between platform that I was trying to build as I was like opening up about these things, these things, the domain I bought was called effortlesslyhealthyliving.com. <laughs> Like I was still very (laughs) much in in that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, you know, I was like, oh, it could be effortless. And I was all into like manifesting. And like, I remember I did this one, I bought this one course that was like, meditate yourself to slim. So (gasps) it was still very problematic, (laughs) like looking back now. And it served as like a, like it just met me halfway where I was at. Like I wasn't ready to fully let go of the desire yeah. to be thin because also people weren't talking about it in the way that no, they, they are now. Yeah. There and I think that's like so that. important to talk about. I think it's, I think it's so important to recognize even how the world was three years ago. It was nothing like it is today. The canvas of the conversations that we have now did not exist back then. It was like it was incredibly courageous and it was said to you how courageous it was if you stated being in like a size 10 pant. And then simultaneously, it was okay to be celebrating being in a size six pant. It was such a it was such a weird time where we were like, yeah, we love people loving on themselves, but we were still in diet culture. We just kind of reskinned it as self-love. Like I know when I look back on my diet posts, they I I use the word self-love as a way of losing weight. Like it was, it was definitely, and I do, I do think that there are forms, there is parts of weight loss or parts of fitness culture that are insanely, uh, really great. Like, I mean, like in unintentional weight loss is going to happen. So I don't think it's, it's fair to just say weight loss sucks. I also think that I learned things about food and myself through my weight loss journey. So I can't hate on it entirely, but in terms of fitness, 
there is, I mean, we didn't even hear the words about orthorexia, which is like an obsession with basically using uh, exercise as a form to erase your food. It's a form of an eating disorder. Didn't even know about that back then. These are all new things. So for us back, a lot of times when people were like coming out of diet culture, they're like, I'm no longer dieting. I'm just moving in ways that I love instead of dieting. But it was still a form of dieting because they were still eating only and then exercising only to erase food. So the conversations in the canvas of social media back then, it was a lot of thin people having conversations about how we felt uncomfortable about our bodies exiting a diet, exiting like a hardcore diet world. Now we know that there was an entire underbelly of an entirely different um, fat liberation, but it wasn't in, it wasn't in my newsfeed. I wasn't paying attention to it at all. So I was like, oh, we're like trailblazing here had like, and now we recognize, oh my gosh, we were like piggybacking on something that existed for generations and started by, you know, black women in fat liberation movements. And so, and I think it's important to also note, and you probably echo this is it's okay to look back and be like, wow, I've, I've evolved. I've evolved since that those days in that stage, but it is really still lent itself into you being able to alchemize your eating disorder and that obsession with fitness into a way that actually helps people. And you Mm -hmm. do that still today. Thank you so much. That means so much coming from you. And I'm going to not cry right now. (laughs) You do. Um, And you've done so much more. Talk to me about like, if people are going to, I know people are going to creep your page anyways, but if they're going to come onto your page, what is the experience that you hope for them to have? Because you are so much more than you know, that season of time of, of diet culture and eating disorder, there is more to it than just that. Talk to me about like, why even Mary's cup of tea in the first place? Mm. Actually, I wanted to sell tea. <laughs> that was oh my gosh. <laughs> I literally, this was like the same the effortlessly innocent, healthy living. That's the most yeah. innocent answer I've ever heard. I wanted to sell tea. <laughs> I just thought it was like your way of like interpreting the world. It's your cup of tea. That's how, that's what it evolved into when I ordered a bunch of samples from Alibaba and got so overwhelmed by all this tea on my counter that I didn't have the capacity to try or drink or source or learn about. It was just, it's a big, the tea world is big. Like it's really big. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to sell tea because it was actually a big healing aspect during my recovery you know, like post binge, I would make myself a cup of tea and try to forgive myself. Or in the morning, I would like commit to a morning routine and do my affirmations, which was the best thing I know how to do at that time, you know? Um, and so I kind of wanted to like bridge that because I wasn't fully ready to share. This is like when I was like falling off the face of the earth. I just bought the domain. I ordered all these tea samples, but I wasn't sharing anything vulnerable online. And yeah, I think there's just been such a big learning curve over the years and where we started. I mean, if I look back, I'm like, I was a little bit problematic, but it was with the purest intentions and it reached the people that it needed to at that point in time. Yeah. And I think there's also, you know, we do have to meet people halfway and we do evolve and evolution isn't about going from A to Z really, really quickly overnight, you have to have that whole alphabet in between. Um, and I think, I think that's the beauty of sharing yourself online is that you can really see and embrace and be a part of that evolution with somebody through these little, little snippets. And when somebody comes to my page, I think the biggest thing that I want them to see is I actually don't talk about body image that much. It's the same Mm. thing with my retreats. The number one feedback that I get in the feedback form after a retreat was I signed up to heal my body image, but we actually never talked about body image, nor did I ever feel insecure in my body. And I'm like, that's Mm, the point. That's (laughs) That's the point. Yes. That's such a cool thing to say that because I think that's been such a misleading part of a lot of the body confidence stuff is that we thought it was finding confidence in our body and it was actually finding confidence while having a body, right? It's, it's kind of like a compliment, but it's, it's not, the target isn't the body. It's in yourself. It's much more than that. You just came home from a retreat. Talk to me about what these, first of all, I'm jealous of traveling. We are not in a traveling state yet, uh, here in Canada. Um, maybe some people are, 
I'm not, maybe I'm not in the state to be traveling yet. I have to take a little pause to give us a little bit of reminder that we deserve pleasure in our life. I know that's a kind of uncomfortable to hear sometimes, or maybe we're just not used to feeling like our pleasure is any sort of priority. But now it's time to seek out pleasure in every area of your life, from how you start your mornings to how you wind down at night and every little bit in between. You truly deserve to enjoy it all. Let me just say that again. You deserve to enjoy it all. This is why I love Dipsy. Dipsy Stories wants you to find joy and confidence in and out of the bedroom. But what is Dipsy Stories? Well, Dipsy Stories is an app full of sexy audio stories, and they even have brand new written stories. No matter who you're into or what turns you on, Dipsy helps bring stories to life anytime, anywhere. Close your eyes and let yourself get lost in a world where only good things happen and pleasure is your only priority. Explore your fantasies in a safe, shame-free way. There are hundreds of stories to choose from and they release new content every week. So there's always more to explore. And they also have incredible wellness sessions to help you wind down and explore and sleep sessions to help you drift off. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash papaya. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash papaya. One more time, because I so want this for you, dipsystories.com slash papaya. Let's get back to today's show. But talk to me about um, that retreat and, you know, kind of what what kind of people came, what kind of came out of it? Cause I know you came back and I'll say the first thing that I notice when I come onto your page is you are always smiling. There's a lot of stuff with your younger sisters, a lot of stuff with your older boyfriend. There's a lot of age gap stuff going on. I love it. You bridge, get you bridge age gaps very, very well, but you are just like a smiling, happy, happy, like living life kind of person. And I've seen you just show up and you're right. You haven't necessarily talked about body image. You're just showing up in your body, which is interesting that I'm still, I still took it away as a body thing because genuinely all you've been doing is just showing up, not actually saying a bunch about it, but talk to me about the retreat and, and how that went. Wow. Thank you. You have this incredible ability to like, see like these themes and stuff. I'm like, so mind blown. This is like such a therapy (laughs) session for me. And I'm going to be writing all this stuff down. Cause I never, even that like age gap, the age gap, or like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. You really do. Yeah. You, you talk a lot, you do a lot with your younger sister and then you have a much older boyfriend and you really, I think that that's inspiring because I think age is one of those things that we do struggle to gap sometimes, right? We often write off people from a different age because we feel like there is no connectivity between us as humans. And, and I yeah. think seeing someone like you, it's really neat to see you bridge it. It's really cool. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I guess it's like a metaphor for all the other ways we write people off, whether it's like Mm -hmm, their body size mm -hmm. or their lifestyle or their race or like things they don't agree with you about. Um, But there's actually a lot more commonalities than we like to admit. And also the ages at retreats, this last retreat was 18 to 48. The next (gasps) retreat, which was sold out is like 18 to 55. I love that. I'll say my favorite no discredit to everybody else, but I love the older women in my DMs. They're just a different perspective. And I'm like, you make me excited to grow old. You make me excited to, or they'll be like, you know what? I'm just going through this right now. I'm just figuring out how to accept my postpartum body. And I'm 58 and they're so excited. They're like, I'm doing it. Like, look at me, like I'm accepting. It's it's a very cool thing. So that's really neat. What happens on these retreats though? Like, I'm, I'm somebody who doesn't like retreats kind of freak me out. Cause I think I've been on a couple of them where I'm like, oh gosh, like this is a lot of, I don't know, like, can we just yeah. go have fun and, and what are we going to do? Like, right. Like it's a lot. Yeah. Talk to me about what they're actually like. It's a lot. I've actually never been to a retreat outside of my own, which is. Oh, funny. so you're just redefining it. it. <laughs> I'm just like, I know what my retreat experience is like. So, um, my background is in like life coaching, um, NLP, like neuro-linguistic programming, yeah. hypnosis. I've done a lot of leadership training. And what I've noticed in the self-help world is that a lot of it is very um, 
masculine energy wise. Like it's a lot Mm. of like go and hustle and like kind of what we were talking about before we started recording of like these motivational people that are like, wake up at 5am and do a workout and high intensity. And like, you know, and you just wake up with all the money, like go and live your dreams. And you're just like, well, whose money and time are we doing this with? Right. It's it's such a, like, if you just wake up and you decide to do it, you just need to wake up and decide to do it. It's like, actually (laughs) I have a job. (laughs) Yeah. Those are the people, like I find that masculine energy is very, very like a little too rigid and too into this. And then there's other types of retreats that are just so out there and so like disconnected from reality that they really are about like, do whatever you want. It's hard to come back into reality, right? Yeah. Yeah. And travel and whatever. So I do pride myself on trying to find us somewhere in the middle. What I've done, what I've tried to do with my retreats is taking these deeply emotional, um, self-healing tools and presenting them in a way that they serve somebody that is on a body image healing or a self-love journey or learning to discover themselves and what their passion and their purpose is in life. Um, and, and kind of making them somewhere in the middle between like, Mm -hmm. let's talk about all the spiritual things that's going to reconnect us to ourselves and each other and the earth and, and walk barefoot and like all that. I love, I live for the woo woo stuff. Like I love it to an extent. And let's talk about some practical things and do these journaling exercises. And we do a lot of partner work and group stuff. Um, and so that's like the workshop aspects of it, but all of it is centered around self-love as a whole. And there's not a single lecture or exercise that I will have you do. That's about your body Mm. period. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've recently refined the curriculum. So I can say that with full confidence, we've done things like inner child stuff and learning to with your higher self and your shadow and, um, figuring out what you really, really want in life. And it's, nothing that's like so out there. It's more just the setting that you're in because signing yourself up for a retreat and investing in yourself and traveling somewhere and meeting a bunch of strangers and um, opening your heart and your mind to that experience, that is already a transformation in and of itself. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, they're really, really magical. Like just the absolute most magical experience in the whole wide world. And we also do a lot of like integrative work. Like we'll do activities depending on what location we're in the last one. And the next one is in Costa Rica. Um, so we do like water. I have this big thing for waterfalls. Um, we I've noticed. Waterfalls. <laughs> yeah. And we go to the beach, like anything water yeah. related. We'll do dance parties. This next retreat is over new year's. So we're throwing like a big new year's Eve, uh, party on the beach. That's my birthday. So thanks for celebrating. <laughs> oh my gosh. Really? Is it the yeah. 31st or the first? 31st. Uh, well, we yeah, are going to be Year's Eve, baby. Thank you. We're going to be celebrating you in Pittsburgh. <laughs> that is that is so cool, though. And I and I love hearing you talk about like what it could be like to go on a retreat and have some of these experiences. But I know that that's you know that's not accessible for everybody. But you have other tools that people can access as well. One of them being your book that you came out with this year. Which congratulations! It seems very very well received, and it's also very practical. It's not about, you know, projections onto anybody, but actually helps people wherever they're at in these journeys, whether you're, you know, still like, and I think this is what's so hard is I never want to sit here like we're on a high horse past a lot of this stuff, because realistically, we're just babies in this type of stuff. Like I'm just like, if I look at it in a lifeline, I'm just out of you know, dieting and diet culture. And I still, you know, I've had downloaded apps and then deleted them again and downloaded them again and deleted them again. Like it's such a practice because it's like generations that you're unlearning of things. And so, you know, for the book or for like other tools that you have, how do you hope people find, or can you kind of talk to a little bit about it and, you know, how you, how it came to be and how people use it? Yeah, I completely agree with you. I said something kind of stupid. It was like a stupid metaphor, but it works yesterday. I think it downloaded into my mind. I said, I'm just here to scratch my own itch. And like, Hey, if you want a back scratch, I'll scratch your back too. You know, <laughs> like, I think we're all on this journey and the yes. best content and the best like growth work and anything that's like kind of outward and and this kind of stuff we do 
the best thing is when you're really doing it for yourself and then it's it's able to like trickle out to others. So that was the epitome of my book. I wrote it for myself and exactly what I needed even just four years ago, which is Mm -hmm, not that long mm -hmm. ago. Um, and I wanted it to be like very much like a retreat in a book. So also a very integrative experience where I'm not just talking at you or telling you what to do or to make your bed in the morning. Um, I don't do any of that. It's more, it's very practical, very grounded, and it's also integrated with workbook exercises and self-love challenges and journal prompts. So you can actually write directly in the book, Mm -hmm. um, So you're like reading and then you're doing the stuff. I would argue that the exercises are more important than the actual reading, but they definitely serve as a complement. But there's something so powerful about putting pen to paper or staying accountable to yourself, right? And doing that work, even though it doesn't feel that sexy. Um, Granted, I'm obsessed with the cover of the book. Oh, it's (laughs) gorgeous. (laughs) It makes something unsexy really sexy because it's pretty aesthetic. Um, But really sitting with yourself and without any distractions and Mm. doing this kind of stuff, like writing your self-love promise or um, doing the tone it down challenge that I assign, which is about like toning down your beauty consumption, which doesn't mean that you're never going to wear makeup or get injections if you love that yeah. or whatever you want to do, get your hair done. It just means that you're just going to evaluate and see what you're actually doing for you and what you don't want to be doing anymore. And just tone it down a little bit, save some money, save your time, energy, and brain space. Um, yeah. So things like that are just integrated throughout the book. I love that. Cause it really does bring you into like, I'm somebody who used to wear makeup for other people. And then I went through a, oh, I shouldn't be wearing makeup at all. And then I was like, wait, I like this sometimes for me, or I like this a lot of times for me. And it took me going through that loop of like inner conversation to figure that out. So I love that you're even talking about it from that scale. Cause it's so important. Now I, I want to kind of end on this. Cause I, I think it's important for so many people to realize that like love is such a big broad word and the origins of language, it was like multiple words and we have now made it in the English language, one word, it is love, but it is so layered and it is so different and it's so unique for everybody. And so there is no wrong answer to this and hopefully everyone can kind of think about it for themselves as well. But what what is self-love to you? Mm, self-love to me the first word that pops into my mind is expansive. Mm. I know that's not very much a definition, but it's anything that makes you feel more, like you can feel more, like you mm. you can do more with your time, like you can show up more, not in a way that is self-sacrificing or yeah. um, at the expense of your mental health, but more so that you just have so much and you're so lit up and you're so just excited, um, not because it's always positive, but because you're just willing to be in whatever you are feeling. Um, cause you're expansive. It's like soul expanding. I know that's like really esoteric and out there, <laughs> no, <laughs> but I but it's tell a good, you. It's a good way. It's a good way of putting it because I think that we, we talk about love and I say this often, we, we visualize it as like butterflies in the belly and it's love to us looks like looking at ourselves and loving every bit of what it looks like. At, for you at your peak, I just think this is important for people to hear at your peak, um, fitness, bikini competition stage on the stage, doing that thing. How did you feel about your body? Oh, I felt like so defeated and small and weak. And I felt like shit. I hated every part of my body and it didn't matter how small it was or how good it looked to other people. It was never enough. Yeah. Um, and I think the antidote to that is that feeling of expansiveness. And yeah, I think, I, I don't know. I feel like I should be an Enneagram seven, but I'm not. What but are I, you? I'm a two. I'm a two three. W three. Oh, I'm a two W three. So is my husband. And we're like, this is why we're the worst because everything, we feel everything the same time. (laughs) Oh, that is funny. I need to ask Sam to do his. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm the helper, but I have some of these like really feeler things. And I really Mm -hmm. believe that we are better off when we like feel more things. I agree. And that's like why I love writing. And I'm sure you can resonate with that. Mm -hmm. Like when you're Mm -hmm. writing, you could just feel more like languages, even what you brought up with language and the definitions of things. Like when you 
have more words to describe how you're feeling, you're ultimately able to feel more. And that's that feeling of expansiveness. That's that feeling when you go from describing yourself as, oh, I was a sad teenager to I was suffering with teen angst and that was completely okay. You know, it's like a different vibe. It just feels like a little bit more, like you have more depth. You're, you're allowing yourself to have more depth. And to loop this back to the very beginning when we were talking about adolescence and labels, I think it also helps that we, and I have to give credit to my friend Ashley for this, but the fact that we can have all these things, but they're pillars of us, they are not us. So you can be a person who has struggled with cutting. You can be a person who struggled with eating disorders. You could be somebody who, you know, is known for fitness or is known for a certain thing, but that is not all encompassing to who you are. So how can love sit in one place without being expansive? How can love not be your sadness and your joy? How can it it, it can't be butterflies and in your stomach and a, and a fondness for your reflection. It has to be more because it has to be the dark parts of you too. Just like it is for everybody else that you love in your life. Nobody's perfect. And you wouldn't be in a relationship with somebody that had abs, but like dry cardboard conversations, like that's not how it works. But yet we put these conditions on ourselves and put these expectations that life is lived more fully and greater for those who look the part of a happy and full life. And I, that's why I asked you the question about how you felt on stage, because even now it's easy for me to look back at my thinnest moments and think that I must have been happier then and to have to remind myself of how dark and deep that was. So now I might be, you know, I might still struggle with my body. I'm sure you still struggle with your body. I don't know anybody yet who doesn't struggle with their body, no matter where they are in this life. But we, it's not meaning that we don't struggle with that stuff. It just means that that doesn't overtake and become the main part of everything that we love around those things. We don't love with that carried with us all the time to the point that it suffocates that love to a point where you're just falling apart and, and looking for ways to complete a whole. We we create narratives of like finding your other half. We create narratives of like finding yourself by losing weight or or finding it in other things. It's like, no, you, you were always there. You were always there. You're always there. And so when we talk about self-love, it's so buzzwordy. And I think it loses a lot of meaning the more that we say it. It's any word we say enough, it starts to lose its meaning. But I think it's important for us to really evaluate what is love in the first place and how can we how can we talk about it in a way that actually applies to the way that we treat ourselves, the the ultimate romance story of our lives, right? So as you share your story and as you talk and move through, you know, your adolescence and um, the things that your grandmother said, which I'm sure were said to her by her grandmother, and you talk about the relationships that change you and the ones you're in now, and ultimately as you influence not only a sea of people, but your younger sister and um, and finding yourself and and also helping people through, you know, retreats and, and all of the stuff as well. It really is putting purpose into a lot of the pain that you went through. And so I just really appreciate the things that you're doing and how you're showing up for people. And I'd love for you to share how people can kind of find you and connect into the tea you're not selling, but you're serving every day. <laughs> can we cut my whole episode and just start with that? And can you cut that up and make it like a spoken word so it can like go viral? Because that was really the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And can I get an amen on a Monday on wherever, whenever you're listening to this? <laughs> Oh my gosh. It'll be a Monday. <laughs> that was incredible. Have you ever thought about taking up spoken word? No. No. I guess this is spoken word. I don't, to be honest, I don't even remember what I just said. I just speak. It I just think. downloads. You're I like this think. medium. Yeah. yeah. yeah I love that. Thank you for your kindness and generosity and just everything. Um, where can people find me? I'm Mary's Cup of Tea across the board. Double A's. <laughs> double A's, um, on Instagram. I've been fighting. I've even offered the person money for their single really? a Mary's cup of tea and they will not respond to me. So dang it. Your Mary's cup of tea with two A's at the end. Um, I have a podcast also called Mary's cup of tea and my book is called the gift of self love. Um, that's available anywhere books are sold are sold. And it feels really insane to be able to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. What an amazing accomplishment and way to serve the world that in a way that it wasn't served to you that same way. I love that you took something that was 
you know, difficult and you made it into how can I make sure that other people feel more supported through something like this? Mm-hmm. It's, it's truly a way of, of using your story and serving with it. And I thank you so much for everything you do and for being such a joy and your love for waterfalls. Yeah, <laughs> thank that's, you, that's it. That's the show, everybody. Thank you so Likewise. much for listening. Uh, I appreciate you so much for coming on and for everyone listening, we will see you next week and everything as always will be in the show notes as you will go and check out Mary and her waterfalls. We'll see you next week. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then. Mm-hmm.